please become a Patreon and support the show. Merci. And now our host, Stephen Lee Morris. This week, we're joined by playwright and screenwriter Dorantina Basha, who is based in Kosovo and is one of the few recognized female playwrights in the region. She talks about gender equity and her experiences um, working in a national playwriting competition, as well as um, having a play premiered in a rival country, Serbia, and what the reaction was when she returned home. Dorlantina Basha, welcome to Animal Farm. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You are in a rare category. You are a, an accomplished playwright and screenwriter, and you are female, which in Kosovo is uh, an extremely difficult club to get into. So, um, I, and you had mentioned, and we had chatted a little bit last week, and you had mentioned that the movie industry, it, it, the, the impediments of working in the movie industry are not as um, severe as they are in the theater industry in the Balkans. And there's a couple of, couple of issues related to gender equity and opportunity for you to be... Um, to, to have a creative voice, to have a, have a, a playwriting voice, a, theater, a theatrical voice. Um, I'd like to start with the first question. Because of your accomplishments, you were invited to judge a national playwriting competition. And I was wondering if you could talk about that and if issues of gender came up there. Um, it's an um, annual uh, national play competition, uh, which is organized by the, the state, by the Ministry of Culture. And usually there is a reading committee of five people. And this year I was one of the uh, persons who was reading the plays. And it's the main and the biggest and the only one, actually, I think, competition. Does, quick, quite, quick question. Yeah. What does it result in for the recipient? Well, um, it's or for the recipient, I should say. Yeah, it's supposed to give to the first uh, place, the first award, uh, staging or a public reading at the National Theatre of the play. So mm -hmm. the play that wins the first prize. And um, until now, um, there were no productions of the first place of this competition. But that's 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 not what I want to discuss here. <laughs> Um, to uh, go back to your question, if any gender issues um, came up in this uh, experience, actually, um, it was very interesting because, um, of course, it's a, it's a competition with codes, so you don't get to read a play with the author's name, it's just a code, and you have no idea who wrote it. But, you know, when you read without knowing the identity of the writer, you pay so much attention to like modes of representation and, you know, like the yes. voice and some, somehow you just, yes. you get a feeling of, you know, who it could be. Is it a man or a woman? Yes. And um, some particular plays were easy to read on this level, you know, some others were more complex, more complicated. 
But anyway, um, once uh, the reading committee sat and we um, discussed and we made our decision, somehow we ended up speculating about the gender of the authors, you know, <laughs> because we had no other material to discuss anymore. We discussed the plays and everything. And uh, yeah, it was just, you know, we were just chatting <laughs> completely innocently. And then um, one person who was representing the, the, a man who was representing the National Theater, I was convinced that the play that got the most votes was written by a man. And the play that got the least votes was written by a woman. And, you know, I was not sharing this opinion with him. You know, to, to me, it was very obviously the opposite. Anyway, we had a discussion around this. And in the end, when the results were published and when the, the authors were revealed, the person who got the most votes for the winning play was written by a woman, actually a young woman. And uh, the person or the play that got the least, or it was not like in shortlisted, was, was written by a man. And... You know, that made me think how much more work we need to do here in Kosovo to somehow recognize the presence of women in theater, you know. It's like they are there, you know, they write their own stories and they have to be recognized. But also, you know, but how Dory, important could, it is. Yeah. Couldn't an argument be made that actually that is a testament to the integrity of the system that the leader of the National Theatre actually could not tell the gender of the playwright. That is also a testament to the artistry of the playwright, that uh, she, if we can use that word, was able to disguise her gender and simply have a voice that was interpreted mm -hmm. by this guy as male. Couldn't that be seen as a good thing as opposed to something that needs more work? That, that's, not a, that's not an opinion, that's a question. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, of course. And it was a very, very well written play, you know, and but the issue was that the play dealt with gender in a way, uh, uh, you know, in a very particular uh, way, which I think is very relevant to to women who are dealing with gender. And I think it's just something very uh, um, uh, particular about writing about these issues that maybe not uh, people that are not involved with uh, uh, issues that deal with gender representation, they just cannot pick up, you know. So that was uh, a very uh, interesting experience, you know. Um, yeah, I just want to ask, um, how many applicants were there? Unfortunately, this time there were not many. Usually there are uh, quite a lot, uh, but this time there were merely six Six applicants for a national yeah. playwriting contest. Yeah, that yeah. is extraordinary. It's, yeah, is but extraordinary. It, I think it's the first time that there's such a low number because mm -hmm. usually there are much more. I don't know. Maybe it was the pandemic, or you know, just. And what, I think and what it's, was it, it's, yeah? What was the gender makeup of the jury? Uh, we were three women and two men. Mm -hmm. And was there um, a uniformity of opinion? on the gender yeah. of the judges as to the gender of the, this particular playwright, the winning playwright. No, no, no. We were just, as I said, we were just speculating, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, 
it's always interesting in these discussions and these speculations, you know, like to make some observations. <laughs> was, the, was the other man on the uh, panel, did he agree with the artistic director of the National Theatre or not? In terms of just that one question of who wrote this play? No, it was not really a debate, you know, it was more like an observation mm -hmm. uh, from my side, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like we really, we just, you know, could be a he, could be a she, and the reasons, yeah. you know. But to me, it but, was interesting to observe this because I, you know, in my work, I, I deal with gender a lot. And yes. I'm always like paying like really attention to, to discussion like this because for us in Kosovo, especially in theater, we still, as I said, we still need to do a lot of work to, to somehow have the, the, the women's voice in the theater. It's still not yeah. there. It's different in film, and we spoke about this last time. It's, it's yes. changing, but in theater, it's not yet. And that is, can you attribute that to, I mean, I would jump to the conclusion it's just a kind of recalcitrance on the part of the artistic leadership where we've always done it this way, and they're not changing systems. Is that accurate, or is that? I don't know, actually. I was, since we had the, the conversation last week, I was thinking about it. I don't have an answer. I really don't know. You know, it's, it's because um, the cultural scene in, in Kosovo and the theater is very centralized in terms that it gets like all the funding from the state and you don't really have an independent arts and theater scene. Uh -huh. you know? and, uh -huh. and the one that is there, it's barely existing and you've you've been here and you you know yeah. you you've yeah. seen it yourself you know it's yeah. it's yeah it's not like we have uh, uh independent and private theaters and you, you know we have the national theater we have city theaters which are also uh, um, uh supported by the state by the city councils and we have like two three small uh independent stages and i think because of the system you know it's very centralized, the support, the funding, but also somehow the, the you know, the, the mentality. Yes. You know, yes. Like the, the yes. national theater or, you know, the, the national institution, regardless if it's theater or a gallery or, you know, the national institution has certain standards. It has, you know, tradition and, you know, it's a bit conservative. And um, yeah, I think that has to change somehow, maybe. Well, you're, you you're in Europe and um, your neighbors, you just visited Germany last week. In German, these discussions are vibrant. In the United Kingdom, these discussions are vibrant in the art circles. What's the difference? Why are they happening there and not in the Balkans? I think, I think they're bound to happen here as well. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, it takes a bit more time yeah. <laughs> to start the conversation. And um, as I said earlier, and as we discussed last week, it, it started in film in Kosovo. So it's already, it has started in film. Yeah. It has started in film. And I think it, it really is a matter of waves, you know, like yeah. it starts with film and we have, we have had a great year last year, this year. I mean, the past 10 years have been great for uh, women filmmakers in Kosovo. Mm -hmm. And there have been so many um, distinct, distinctive uh, uh, women directors and voices and storytelling. And um, it's so encouraging to other women artists, you know, when you see a success that is recognized. 
And I think this will spread to, to theater as well. And hope I hope very soon. But it's just a matter of, I don't know, it's just a matter of the scene somehow, you know, shifting and, you know, flowing. Yes. I'm optimistic, you know, I think it will happen. Yes. Interesting. We don't really have, um, a, we don't have a state theater at all. There is some government support for theaters, but the entire movement is um, not, is, is regional and nonprofit or almost entirely. There are, that's mm -hmm. excluding the commercial scene in New York, which is market driven. But the, there are certain theaters that seem to rise to the equivalent level as though we had a national theater. They seem to mm -hmm. get the lion's share of funding, even if that funding is largely private, though not entirely. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's just very interesting how the shapes, what Neil Laboot might have called the shape of things, they seem to replicate each other, even if the systems are different. And mm -hmm. yeah, the independent theaters that you're describing in Kosovo, I think in Los Angeles, it's, 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 it's they're suffering in a similar way, a, a lack of funding, a lack of support, and the struggles are getting increasingly arduous for them to survive. Um, so we're cousins, um, despite our completely different artistic systems. So that, that, that's interesting. Mm. I, let's talk about this idea, one of the consequences of having a government that really does support the arts in the way that the United States doesn't, you have, but that comes with costs, which I think you've already addressed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You had one of your plays performed in a country that was, that is a, was and probably still is a political rival, but not necessarily an artistic rival anymore. And you had success with that. I'm talking about Serbia and your play was produced in Belgrade. And then you returned to Kosovo, having on the heels of that success, which would in a sane world would be a cause for celebration. What did you find when you returned home? Um, well, this happened quite a long time ago now. It's been 10 years, mm -hmm. in 2011. Um, yeah, I wrote a play that was staged uh, in Belgrade. It was part of a regional Western Balkans contemporary play competition, and it won the first place. So with this uh, first place, um, there was also a part of the prize. It was that it will get a production in, in Belgrade, and it had a production in 2012 in Bitev Theater uh, in Belgrade. And it was a success because, you know, it's, it's not like like every day in Belgrade you have stories from Kosovo or Albanian authors from Kosovo being staged, and also the the theme, the topic of the play was was about the war and the consequences of the war, and that's why it had a lot of attention. It really had a spotlight uh, there, and um, yeah, I mean, I was expecting a, some sort of a success or similar um, path when I came home. But unfortunately, it didn't happen for quite some years uh, because I think the fact that the play had its first premiere in Belgrade was somehow considered unpatriotic, you know, and it was seen as, you know, like not a very smart move for me as a playwright. I have a quick uh, question. Just, yeah. uh, I mean, in a way, it's. Uh, 
in defense of your position, did you have any opportunity to premiere the, the, this play in Kosovo? Uh, I, I did have in later in 2015. No, but, um, but, but oh, 10 years ago, let's say, which is, was what you're talking about, which was like 2011. Yeah. Did yeah. that opportunity exist at this time? Uh, well, no. I mean, there there was interest from theater directors who approached uh, theater uh, with my play, but they were turned down. And, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in the meantime, the play was being produced in other countries. It was produced in North Macedonia, and it was mm -hmm. also produced in Bosnia Herzegovina and Sarajevo, and it was produced as part of a triptych in uh, Vienna in Austria. Uh, but then it took some years and it took, you know, it had to be validated, you know, uh, yes. abroad in how, order to how be accepted did it, at home. How did this nationalism that you're describing, this kind of, I guess it's resentment to put words in your mouth, um, how was this actually manifested? How did you experience this? Was it conversations? Was it, uh, was it press reports? Was it? No, it was, it was just silence. Mm -hmm. It was silence and just, you know, mm -hmm. rejection, <laughs> silent treatment and rejection, you know. I mean, yes. it, it, it did not, I guess, you know, I, I was not happy about it, of course, because I wanted it to be staged at home. You know, it was, it was a genuine Kosovo story, you know, yeah. and it represented our suffering and it represented what we, you know, uh, being of, Albanian identity in Kosovo suffered in the war, in this horrible war. Um, so, you know, of course, I, I wanted this to be shared with, with the audiences here at home, but it just didn't happen because, you know, it was somehow tarnished, you know, it had yes. like this stain, you know. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it had success in other uh, uh, places, in other countries and in other theaters. So in a way, there was some sort of, I felt that there was some sort of justice for the story because mm. in the end it's the story that matters. Yes. Eventually it was staged in Pristina in National Theater in 2015 and it was very well received, you know. So just, just a quick backdrop for American readers who may not be up to speed mm -hmm. with your local history. The war you're referring to is the war of 1998, 1999, in yes. which um, Milosevic and his Serbian forces committed to uh, what many tribunals have referred to as a genocide against Kosovo and the Albanian. <clears throat> The, yes, uh, yes. the ethnic Albanians living in Kosovo. And yes. it, it took NATO bombings in 1999 to end that war, but the, the rubble is still there. So 20, 21 years later. Um, it is, it's, yes, exactly. It's, uh, that's the war that uh, we still remember because it was so recent and it contains so many stories that still need to be told as we haven't still dealt with our past, with our um, horrible past, you know? Well, it's not that, in, in the arc of history, it's it, it's a blink of an eye. It's, it's only 20, 20 years since. Yeah, it, it it's is. It's nothing, it's nothing. Of course it hasn't healed no. in that time, yeah. No, so I mean, I, I remember time. everything vividly, you know? Um, I, I also meet people that were born after, like that were born in 2000 and 2001 and, 
you know they have a different perspective on what happened mm. but uh, a lot of other people remember things like it was yesterday so. how is the millenn your millennials how is their perspective different from the people who experienced the war i think it is different because it is uh, somehow constructed by these very standard narratives of the media and of textbooks mm. and then family stories. So it is a combination of these three. And mm -hmm. of course, in the media, it's always present in one way or another. And, um, and in the textbooks, school, history, but, you know, it just lacks this, this having the experience of being a refugee or, you know, being under this constant threat of a war because you know we 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 experienced the war in 98 and 99 but since 89 when Kosovo autonomy autonomy was abolished by Milosevic we lived an everyday fear of you know war sure. starting any moment sure. so it just lacks this this because it forms you of course you know when yeah. you grow up in this situation yeah. it just shapes you yeah and yeah. it shapes how you relate to to everyday life yes you know? so yeah it is it is i think that's the difference you know it's just something that is not experienced but is somehow you know it's like a memory created from from narratives that were built afterwards you know yes yes that's very very interesting to experience the war and then to read about it in various sources and the difference yeah. between those two memories Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, the, the final question I wanted to get to is um, you talked about uh, the difference between, say, Serbia and Belgrade and Pristina, and perhaps you could include, well, let's talk about Kosovo and, and Serbia, and you can include Germany and the United Kingdom, Germany, the United Kingdom, and uh, Serbia all have fairly established theater traditions. Kosovo does not. And I'm, you go, the same argument could be made on the West Coast for Los Angeles. We have a robust film industry, and that is the tradition of the city. The, the theater history is, is, it's now finally being recognized as something, at least as an activity, if not an industry, but it was just not taken seriously at all. It was certainly not in the tradition of, of, of the history here. I'm wondering how that has affected living in a place without a theater history, how that has affected your opportunities as a playwright and then maybe as a screenwriter. Well, yeah, Kosovo has, I mean, I would not say that it doesn't have a theater tradition. It has a very humble, <laughs> you know, short uh, theater tradition. It, theater in Kosovo started after the World War II, and it was somehow established more, you know, um, as a result of enthusiasts coming together to, to make theater, you know, performances. And it took some years for people to, to that were part of this initial uh, movements to uh, start to educate uh, on theater, like actors, directors, 
And unfortunately, because in Kosovo we didn't have a theater school then, um, they they had to to go to school um, um, abroad. I mean, abroad. Ah, Kosovo uh-huh. was part of of Yugoslavia, so you know they were uh, educated at theater in let's say Sarajevo or Zagreb or Belgrade. You know these other capitals of ex Yugoslavia that had a theater tradition and theater school, and so. Gradually in the 60s, you know, like the National Theater, what is called now the National Theater, then it was like called the, the, I don't know how to translate that in English, it's very difficult, but maybe provincial theater of Kosovo, you know, because Kosovo was considered a province, autonomous province of Yugoslavia, so this provincial it doesn't sound good in english <laughs> maybe re- we i think we call them regional theaters but um but i don't yeah. know if that's the same. i don't know if that's the same it's it's more a political status it reflects the political status yeah. of kosovo as an autonomy within yugoslavia yeah. but never mind i mean uh it was established like that and um Yugoslavia was a socialist uh, federation and everything was centralized. So this theater was part of these, these theaters across Yugoslavia. So it, you know, it, it started a, a, an ensemble and a repertoire. And that's, that's where our theater tradition starts, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, this history that Kosovo uh, experienced was reflected in theater as well, because when in 1989, Milosevic abolished autonomy, all institutions um, excluded Albanians working in these institutions like overnight, you know, because they they would not comply with the new measures, you know, like the the Milosevic new measures. And um, so that there is a big gap there, an interruption there, you know. And so since 19s, you know, a lot of theater was improvised in, in alternative spaces and, you know, it was gone back to these enthusiasts and, and people who had the will to, to make theater and not really part of a system or a structure that, that is uh, producing, pr- producing theater. So I think in that sense, you know, it is difficult nowadays to somehow, you know, like have maybe um, a theater scene, which is more platform to promote or to recognize new and different voices. Yes. Because, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's still very centralized because that's the system, you know, the system was like that and it still is like that, you know, it's centralized. And I think because of that, um, you know, we still have this really conservative and traditional uh, uh, theater, which is in the in the in the system. But other than that, you know, um, there are some some changes, some movements. For example, um, there are city theaters which are being supported by by city councils, and a lot of them really suffer financially because. You know, city councils are generally poorer than you know the, the central government. So you know, they, they just they're just there isn't money. the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. 
for example, just to take a, an example, uh, the city theater of Pristina, and Pristina is the capital, of course, so one city theater of Pristina doesn't even have its own budget line, you know, mm. in the, the city council. So in order to, to produce plays, each play has to apply individually for uh, what is called a subsidy, you know, which is very complicated. So people are just discouraged, you know, who wants to go through all that bureaucratic process to get a play stage? To get a you production know, just, budget. Get yeah. a, to get a production, which it is going to be very small. And, you know, so I think it's the general atmosphere is very discouraging, I would say. And I think that's what makes it really difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you see this uh, changing in the near horizon or do you think? I believe it will change because... Um, or is it depending on the economy? On local economy. I think I think it depends a lot on the community as well, and the theater community is growing and it's getting more and more um, dynamic, mm -hmm. you know. And I think I, you know, maybe I sound like a very idealistic, but I think they will change it. You know, I think that the community has to really put pressure and and have this changed. Dorantina Basha, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Next week, we're joined by Lisa Dring, a Los Angeles-based playwright, who is a playwright in residence with the Play LA, a program of Humanitas. She has also been had her plays developed at the Blue Mountain Center and La Jolla Playhouse. <laughs>